welcome into another exciting episode of the Broadway Bulletin. We have lots of insights and hot takes to get to, and I mean lots, so let's just jump right into it. This week on Broadway, Anne Juliet opens on November 17th, which I'm very excited about. I'm very excited to see this show. Uh, great cast, great music. Love me some Katy Perry, and I'm interested to see the show. I like the concept. What if Juliet didn't kill herself? Like, what happens from there? So I am had a really big, uh, a really great run over in the West End, and now it's here on Broadway. So I'm interested to see how the show does and what it's about. Mike Berbiglia's Old Man and the Pool opened at Lincoln Center's Vivian Beaumont Theater on November 13th. Um, I'm excited to see this show. Um, the fact that it's playing Lincoln Center tells me it must be good. Uh, Mike, Berbig- Mike Berbiglia, ooh, that's a tongue twister. Uh, he's a great humorist. I really appreciate his storytelling and his humor. So I'm intrigued to see this show. K-pop opens on November 20th. So this should be interesting. Now, one thing I was reading about this show is it features a playbill that is in English and, and in, in Korean. Korean. Now, I am keeping an eye on this show because one thing I have noticed is there's been a lot of cancellations of their performances uh, lately, which I'm not sure what's going on. I hope everything's okay. I, I know that today's, uh, I think it was today's performance when we are recording was canceled due to illness, which is never a good thing, but I'm hoping that everybody's healthy and safe. Hopefully it's just, you know, they're tweaking the show because it is in previews. Right. Well, and um, all you can do is just hope that, you know, everyone is staying healthy. I mean, I know it's really hard coming back from all these COVID protocols because a lot of people are like, well, we want to move on. But also remembering that it's it's still happening. We still need to take care of ourselves. And kind of, I mean, I think it's a telling thing of what's to come with Broadway and with theater in general because this is something, yeah, because health and... Health and is illnesses are not going away. So no. how do we how do we reinvent our culture, our right. theater culture, with these things in mind? By keeping health a major priority. The other thing I will say is I've you know the, the, I've only seen the one performance they did on Good Morning America, and this show looks to be high energy and just enormous production. And I mean, I'm excited. I'm not, I don't know much about K-pop itself. I am an old man. But everything that I've seen about this tells me this is just a huge production in a smaller theater. So I'm just over the moon excited about this show. I can't wait uh, to see it. It's going to be great. On a sadder note, uh, Kiki Boots has posted its closing notice for uh, November 20th over at Stage 42. Really sad to see the show go. This was a really fantastic production, really great cast. Um, but so glad that it was done again. And, and who knows where it'll be resurfaced again. So in Broadway history news, um, the Rocky Horror Show opened at the Circle in the Square Theater in 2000 on actually this day we're recording, November 15th, um, starring Leah Delaria as Dr. Scott slash Eddie. Um, and then Alice Ripley was Janet Weiss and Tom Hewitt as Dr. Frankenfurter. I, I took everything in me not to yell back because I'm a huge Rocky Horror fan. But we're going to keep this episode non-explicit. Uh, moving on to some broader community news. And 
Let me just crack the knuckles because boy, do we have news. Um, starting with the upcoming holiday, Thanksgiving holiday, we now know who is performing for the parade. Uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade will feature uh, Leah Michelle from Funny Girl, a number from A Beautiful Noise, the Neil, Sa- the Neil Diamond, the Neil Diamond, Diamond musical, musical. Uh, Some Like It Hot, as well as The Lion King, and of course, the world famous Radio City Rockettes. And those will be on NBC. Okay. Then on CBS, uh, they will be showcasing Six and Moulin Rouge for the parade. So those will be performed at their theaters. Correct. And the others will be performed live at the parade. Now, if you're wondering how to balance all this out, I am the parade master. I love me a parade. I, I got you. So tune in to CBS, their first hour of coverage. They, they start covering the parade earlier than NBC because they're further uptown. They will showcase uh, Moulin Rouge and Six first in their first hour. Then when they're done, switch over to NBC, who will be covering, in their first hour, all these great shows as the parade makes its way down to Herald Square and Macy's. And look, I'm all giddy. I love Listen, a parade. Listen, all I want to say is that if you're not a parade per- person, but you want to see the, sh- the performances, what you do is sleep in, wait till the parade is over, and then catch the performances on YouTube or... No, you watch the parade. <laughs> TikTok or something. Well, speaking of the Lion King from performing at the parade, the Lion King is celebrating its 25th anniversary and in great style. Um, they celebrated with a special Broadway performance, um, which was, I believe, on Tuesday. Um, but it had like stuffed animals for its audience, and it was an invitation only performance. Like, there was no, like, let me buy a ticket to this thing. It was huge. Original cast members were involved. It was really special. There's also an exhibit celebrating the 25th anniversary, including items from the show, like costume pieces, sets, props, and whatnot. Um, It's a really big deal. 25 years of The Lion King. I am feeling old when I think about that, but it is such an incredible show, so kudos to them. Also, speaking of uh, exhibit... Uh, the Museum of Broadway opens uh, today, November 15th. Um, tickets are $39, except for the first Tuesday of every month, when tickets will be $25. This is a great museum. We finally have a museum uh, for all things Broadway. And it includes things like you can walk through the set from the most recent production of Company, um, costumes and icons from shows like Phantom of the Opera, Wicked, Kinky Annie. Boots. You can see the boots from Kinky Boots. Um, there's so many uh, memorabilia and historical facts and, and whatnot this museum. I can't wait to go down there and just see it. This is so fantastic. And it's over on 45th Street, which is great. So that's incredible. Right before we started recording, the Grammy Award nominations for Best Musical Theater Albums came out. Uh, and the nominees are Caroline or Change, Into the Woods, MJ the Musical, Mr. Saturday Night, Six live on opening night mm. and a strange loop. So we will see who dukes it out to win that award. But I, I would just like to say my vote goes to the six live, but I also would be extremely happy for Caroline or Change. I'm for Into the Woods or MJ the Musical, but don't discount a strange That's loop. That's what I was just yeah. about to say. Don't discount a strange loop. It's a loop. great nominee. 
Um, but who knows? The winners will be announced on February 5th, 2023 at the 65th Annual Grammy Awards only on CBS. And then rounding out this portion of our bulletin, uh, LaShawns was named the president of Black Theatre United, which she was previously the VP. The nonprofit began uh, the 2022 season with fulfilling commitments to the New Deal for Broadway initiative honoring Black theatre artists released in August of 2021. BTU has worked with the Schubert organization to rename the Court Theatre to the James Earl Jones Theater and with the Nederlander organization to rename the Brooks Atkinson Theater as the Lena Horn Theater. The organization focuses on building support systems and opening accessibility for black and other historically marginalized theater students and industry professionals. So this is a really big deal to have a person of color, a female person of color leading this organization. And it's a big deal. I mean, more, more, information will actually be shown on this organization. This is a great, great achievement um, and kind of the industry taking a step in the right direction. Right. So once again, that's the Black, that's Black Theater United. Yeah. So go on uh, the internet and check them out. Yes. Now let's go to the other big heavy area we need to cover, which is the show chatter. Oh my gosh, there's so much happening. Like, oh, we went, we, yeah, we went from having like you know, a couple of shows incoming to all of a sudden this explosion of things coming I in. wish I had a board right here that I could keep track of, like, the different theaters. Because I feel like there's, like, four theaters now in the spring that don't have shows set yet. But that'll change. Um, so leading the charge with that, we have Pictures for Pictures from Home, which will play at Studio 54 at the beginning of January 2023. That will star Nathan Lane, Danny Bernstein, and Zoe Wanamaker. Yes, now it's important to note this is not associated with Roundabout Theatre Company, even though that's Roundabout Theatre Company's theater. Um, it is an independent show, similar to like The Minutes. Um, but this is going to be an exciting show. I mean, who doesn't love these three performers? Now, the marquee is a Officially up at the One Fontaine Theater. Come attend to tell a Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd Marquis is up at the One Fontaine, which will begin in February of 2023. And it stars Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford. It's being directed by Thomas Kale, um, most famously of Hamilton. Uh, choreographed by Stephen Hogarth. Music supervised by Alex Lackamert. Lackamore and the lighting design by Natasha Katz. And I love her lighting design. She just recently won the Tony Award for MJ, the musical. So that's a really exciting team put together. They're continuing to add some really great people together. I can't wait to see who else is being added to that. The musical Shucked will make its way from Pioneer Theater in Utah, where we're from. Where we worked. Um, to the Nederlander Theater in 2023. It's being led by Alex Newell. So that's really exciting. That I, I saw that the other day, and I was like, I can't believe it's coming from the theater we used to work at all the way to Broadway. How exciting. Prima Facci, which was a huge hit over in the West End, uh, announced it will open in April of 2023 at the Golden Theater, um, so get excited for that. Another theory we can check off the list is Occupied for the Spring. Fosse's Dancing <laughs> will premiere at the Music Box Theater in March of 2023. This is exciting. This, uh, I believe, was last on Broadway in the 1990s. Um, but I love Fosse. 
So this is going to be such a great show. And then finally, for all of our listeners across the pond over in England, Mrs. Doubtfire, Euphigenia Doubtfire, is coming home to the West End, opening in May of 2023. And although it wasn't a huge success here, take it from me, take it from us, it is a great show. Do not miss it. It's fantastic. And, you know, i got to be honest, I might just pop on a plane and go over there just to see it. Because it is. It was so much fun. So now why don't we chat a bit about some of the shows that we saw um, in the last week. So there's a few shows that I want to, to speak on. And the first one is over at MCC, and it's a show called Only Gold. Um, the big name attracting to the show is um, Andy Blankenbuehler. He helped write the book and the choreography. And this is a dance-heavy show. Um, which is a-okay because Andy Blankenbuehler is a fabulous choreographer whose choreography is a language in it, in and of its own. Uh, Terrence Mann is also in this show and he's brilliant. Um, it's a beautiful story about a king who goes to Paris and rekindles his love with his wife as well as his daughter who's going to get married to a man she doesn't love but then she finds love. Basically Paris bringing everyone together, right? The narrator is also the music and lyric composer. And she has the sound that sounds like Lily Allen and uh, Regina Spector mixed. And it's absolutely gorgeous. The whole time I kept trying to put my finger on it. And I was like, I've heard your voice before. And I thought, no, it can't be Lily Allen. No, you're not Regina Spector. Who are you? And the more I looked into this, the more... So she's a big hit overseas. And if anybody's ever seen the show Glow... She plays Victoria, the the British wrestler, mm. on Glow. Yeah. So she's a known actress and performer, and she's fantastic. And this show, in a smaller off-Broadway theater, is so huge, and it's just incredible. Um, the lighting gives off these uh, great comet feel, the way it's done. I just was blown away by it. I want to go back and see it again because there was so much that I'm like, okay, now i got to go see it again to see what all I missed. So this was a really great show. Um, if you're looking for more of your standard theater with like, you know, a solid story told in the conventional way, it's not for you. This is, like I said, a very dance-heavy show and the movement tells a lot of the story, but it is a beautiful show. Um, so MCC's got a great show called Only Gold. Now, flipping it over to another theater company here, but off-Broadway, um, Roundabout Theater, has a show over at the Laura Pell's uh, off-Broadway theater called uh, You Will Get Sick. And starring in it is the legendary uh, Linda Lavin, who just, she can do no wrong. I can listen to her read a phone book, and it was such a great, great story about it was like about COVID, but it wasn't about COVID. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But for me, I was reading a book most recently about the AIDS epidemic, and so to me, it had hints of the AIDS epidemic. To be honest, but it was this weird, like dystopian feel. But it's like hodgepodge with the Wizard of Oz, and it's very clever. And I love that there's a narration to it, but it's a live narration. You got to see it. It's really cool. Um, 
uh, the leading actor whose name escapes me right now. I saw him, the Chinese lady. Um, he's really fantastic. It's just really well done. And the illusions that are also created in this show are really fantastic. So this was a really great show. I, I have to admit, I went to go see Linda Lavin because I love Linda Lavin. I've always wanted to see her on stage. I got more than I bargained for because there was a great show as well. Great story. Amazing supportive cast. Amazing supportive cast. Oh my gosh, this is just fantastic. So, The other show that I want to mention is A Christmas Carol, uh, the one-man show... By Jefferson. Well, with starring Jefferson Mays. Which is a New York Times critics pick. It, so I got to see The Invited Dress... And, oh my god, it blew me away. Not only is it technically beautiful between the set, the sounds, the costumes, the, just the overall aesthetic is beautiful, but then you have Jefferson Mays who plays every single character of A Christmas Story. And at first, I'm not going to lie, I was like, ah! if I'm going to enjoy this or not just because you know there's there's a lot of interaction between the characters but Jefferson Mays does it in the most beautifully beautiful way you could ever imagine never once did I find myself like bored or thinking about other things of the show I was 100% engaged the entire time he gives a master class in acting and ability to differentiate characters um, so if there's one thing you do this Christmas season, go see A Christmas Carol. Um, it's, I could, I cannot speak high enough about it. It was just, it was beautiful. It was. I'm interested to see it because <laughs> the other big work we've seen that's been a one man show has been Macbeth by Alan Cumming. Mm-hmm. And that was a great success. So knowing how Jefferson Mays, mm-hmm. Jefferson Mays. Uh, he is a character actor in that he, I mean, he can play so many characters. Mm-hmm. Hello, gentlemen, and, I love murder. So I'm intrigued. What I love about him is he does multiple characters at once very clearly. He, he's very good at that. So I want to, I'm excited to see how he can do that on stage. And he's very good at storytelling. So I'm like, great. I could see this where I don't need a thousand props and costumes for you to tell the story. What I'm interested to see is. How do you tell a Christmas carol with all that dialogue as one person? Because it could get old after a while if you're going back and forth in that conversation. Well, and the other thing is, is um, you know, the reason why it worked with the Alan Cummings or with Alan Cummings was because it was about madness. It was about being demented. It right. was, you know, and that's not necessarily what, what we're getting about. with this because we go see it. We'll have to do a whole episode on it, obviously, yes. but. I'm telling you, go see it. Speaking of one-person shows, I do want to throw one more thing in there. I saw a riveting show at the public called Where We Belong. Um, And I mean, riveting show. Um, It's told by a Mohican actress named Madeline Sayet. And what's brilliant about this is she's basically, there's like three stories in one. So she's telling the history of the Mohican people, um, as well as her story, being from Connecticut, growing up. Um, falling in love with theater, falling in love with Shakespeare, studying Shakespeare, going over to England to study and get her PhD, but also colonization. And the main thing I found is you had the history of Mohican people and colonization kind of running on parallel tracks. 
And it was very eye-opening because I didn't know all this information about this particular tribe. And I loved learning about it. Especially because we live out here in their land, you know. Uh, I mean, technically, we live out where we live on Manahata, where the Lenape people I should say are. I was about to say were, but I'm sure there are Lenape people that still live here in Manhattan, in Manahata. Um, so she starts by explaining that, and then she explains where the Mohicans were, are, all of that jazz, right? Um, but she talks about uh, colonization and how it still continues today. Um, and I don't want to give away how she came face to face with it in her own personal life, because that really was this oh my gosh moment in her story um and i couldn't believe it but she is so smart and it's so brilliantly told and i didn't want it to end and i think it's such an important story to be told especially when she talks about the exploitation of essentially first nations people in the theater and in the entertainment industry the fact that we laugh at these certain things and it's not funny it's not funny at all to poke fun at these uh, these people and their customs and that or to bastardize them you know they are sacred for a reason um, there's a very powerful moment I'll just say that takes place in a museum that I didn't even think of and it, it just it it's a show that I left and I left thinking and I encourage everyone to go to the public to see where we belong and speaking of encouraging everyone it is November. It is thanks. It's the month of Thanksgiving and of giving. And we hope all of you out there, if you find yourself in a position, you can help give to us, help continue to support us in bringing you all of this great theater that is existing and returning and thriving, both on and off Broadway. We would appreciate if you're able to please sign up uh, to become a patron of the show by visiting patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. Your donation, your patronage, it means the world. It does so much good. It enables us to continue to grow as a show. It, can t it allows us to continue to do good in the theater community and support these wonderful shows and, and, and artists. I mean, most importantly, I, I can't tell you how much it means to be able to support these young and up-and-coming theater artists uh, thanks to listeners like you and patrons like you so please if you are in a position to log on to patreon.com slash stage whisper pod and uh, you know feel free to jump on for as, as easy as five bucks a month you know so with that this very prolonged episode of the broadway bulletin uh, with all its excitement uh, is going to draw to a close but we're going to leave you with a brand new episode of Whisper in the Wings, which the interview was just done a short while ago, which was exciting. Um, I sat down with the playwright Bailey Williams, the director Sarah Blush, and the producer and performer Julia Greer, who are all a part of a new show called Events, uh, which is happening at The Brick, being presented by Hearth and The Brick. Um, it's very exciting. The show's fantastic, so I hope you enjoy our interview here on Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper.
Welcome in listeners to another exciting episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have three incredible women joining us today. Um, joining us, we have Bailey Williams, who is the playwright of a new show, Events, uh, as well as the director, Sarah Blush, and the producer, Julia Greer, who also is acting in the show. The show Events is being presented by Hearth and The Brick and is being performed December 1st through the 18th at The Brick. Ladies, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having having us. (laughs) I am so excited to have all of you on here and to talk about the show. Um, This has been a long time coming. I I will say I was digging through my email and I realized that I think myself and the other person have been scheduling this for over two months. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's finally here. Um, (laughs) So this is going to be a fun, fun story to talk about. Um, and so why don't I kick things off, um, with Bailey, why don't you tell us a bit about what the show events is about? Sure. Um, so events, uh, is a dark office comedy, uh, very dark. Um, and it sort of straddles two different stories. One thread follows Itchy, who is telling us a story about something that happened to her the other day at work. And the other thread is a group of coworkers at a design production company, an events design and production company uh, called Todd David Design. And they are very busy trying to plan a gala for a pharmaceutical company called Juvenescence. And we move back and forth between these two stories until they start to intertwine in hopefully what will be surprising ways. (laughs) Bailey, how did you come up with the idea for the show? Um, Yeah, so um, I I worked in design, uh, in events design and production uh, for a little bit. In March 2020, uh, before uh, certain things occurred, the Hearth, um, no, actually, as- It was like a couple weeks. Yeah, Yeah. um, the Hearth put out a call for um, sort of commission proposals. Uh, So I wrote up the first 10 pages of uh, what would eventually be events. Uh, sort of thinking about my time in this very strange office with these uh, very panicked and stressed out people hustling to get uh, galas and weddings and uh, event pop-ups done. And uh, then I got the commission. And so I started working away at it. And then uh, very suddenly, a very close friend of mine died. And um, I was... Yeah, it was, um, it was very difficult. I, um, it was, it, it was extremely upsetting as you might have guessed. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, uh, I, I was really trying to push it aside and work on the commission because we had sort of set this rough deadline for late summer to do a zoom workshop or something. And my friend and my grief kept invading the script in sort of surprising ways. Like I would be writing about this office and I would just be sort of overwhelmed with these feelings of loss for my friend and anger and confusion. And I was really trying to separate them for a long time. And then I realized that that's what the play is about. It's about how uh, work fragments ourselves into what we consider our work self and our regular self. It, it forces us to leave parts of ourself behind. And so I found sort of the structure of the play, this grief invasion from the invasion of literal grief into my work. <laughs> wow. Now, Sarah, you are the director of the show. What was it like developing the show as a whole? 
Well, Bailey and I have worked together now a few times. So, and, and we, and we have a, so the first play that we worked on together was a play that Bailey had been developing for about six years, I think, before I came on board with it. So that was a really different process because the play came to me when it was sort of nearly, nearly done. This play, Bailey and I knew that we wanted to work together on it. So I was brought in pretty early on um, after Bailey had written those initial 10 pages that she submitted to the hearth. Um, so it's been like a really beautiful process of, of knowing that we had knowing that we had the hearth support and these opportunities for collaboration with actors um, where we were able to develop the piece with a, a certain amount of, um, I, I want to honestly say security, knowing knowing that there was like a, a likely chance that it was going to happen, with, which is a luxury you don't always, always get when you're working on something. And so we did a, a workshop uh, with a group of actors over Zoom in the pandemic. Uh, we joke that it actually was on the insurrection day of January 6th, which was a different oh boy. And, uh, and we, but we soldiered on and, uh, and did a, a workshop, which was really illuminating to, to hear the play aloud, even though we weren't in person with the actors. And then later, once Julia and the Hearth had, had decided to, to mount the play, we did a really helpful workshop last fall that was really more of a staging workshop. And it was a way for me to get to start to envision the world of this play in space, which was really invaluable. And we started to understand some of the physical language of the piece. So, so far it's been, it's it's honestly been one of the best processes of my life. Julia and Bailey are amazing collaborators and the three of us all have backgrounds in self-producing. So it's made it a really seamless process because all of us understand our own individual lanes um, but there's also some overlap in really beautiful ways. And and speaking of producing, we have Julia with us, the producer, but you're also, you play a role in the show. What role do you play in the show? I play uh, one of the office workers named Bridget, who's kind of a neurotic mess on the verge of a nervous breakdown all the time. <laughs> um, and kind of is begrudgingly called the assistant of the office, even though she doesn't believe that is her role anymore. So you being on the other side from these two, you know, they're they're kind of on the design end, you're on the acting end. What was it like de uh, developing the show from your perspective? It was so, so fun. I mean, part of what I feel like is a little gift that I get by producing these plays is that I get to work on them as an actor for so long. And I think part of what's so fun about working with both Bailey and Sarah is they've really, I think they really take in actors personalities and input and sort of build plays around people in a really beautiful way. And so it's been really cool to kind of like see the play grow uh, based on the cast and kind of all, it feels very kind of a seamless, seamless development process on all ends. Oh, that's so fantastic. Yay. <laughs> so Bailey, I want to go back to you for the next question. As the playwright, I'm wondering what message or thought you're hoping audiences will take away from the show. I'm hoping that people will sort of interrogate their relationship to their work. And it's something I do a lot with um, writing and theater making because it's such a central part of my identity. And sometimes it feels like the success of my writing and the success of my theater is the success of myself. And um, I don't believe that's a healthy way to live. Um, I do believe we are more than our work. 
And uh, we have a responsibility to ourselves to prioritize our well-being and our the love and friendship and family in our lives. And so I, I would hope that people ask themselves what work, what role work has in their lives. And I actually, and I, and I also want to say, I don't have an answer. I believe firmly that plays should not offer answers, only (laughs) questions. And so there is, there is no wrong answer. There is no wrong answer. I like that. I like the idea that plays should offer questions on answers. I really appreciate that. Now, Sarah, as the director, is there a message or thought you're hoping that audiences will walk away with? No, I, I feel similar to Bailey. I, I think more about a sort of emotional arc that I that I envision people will have throughout the course of the show, which is different, I think, from how I want every individual person to leave the theater feeling. So I, I think about sort of crafting, I think it's important to have a certain like rhythm or energy to a piece. Um, and I think Bailey's plays are they're so rhythmic that it's it's really fun. To, it's almost like a musical score is how I see them. So I think it's more about like keeping the audience on a, on a sort of vibrational journey throughout the piece. But how everyone leaves and then goes off to process what we've shown them is their own individual experience that I feel so at ease about not being able to control. <laughs> yeah, I, I will also second that. I deeply care that people laugh during the show. Um, but everything else can be up for grabs. <laughs> and I do think that, you know, part of part of what Bailey was alluding to, and we're, 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 we're clearly being deliberately opaque here about exactly what happens in the show. But, you know, there is a sort of, I think there's a lot of uh, mental, like piecing together that can happen and puzzling from this play. And that's, that's my favorite kind of theater piece, one that is so present that it overtakes you in moments where your, your brain, brain is sort of turned off. Um, but then one that after the fact, like, is something that you continue to turn to and wonder about. And I think that this piece holds an opportunity for that experience. I love all that. Uh, Julia, I want to get your input here. Uh, what's the message or thought that you're hoping audiences take away? I feel very similar to both Sarah and Bailey, unsurprisingly. But I I think to kind of also echo the laughter, I think I feel really strongly that if plays, if you don't laugh, then you don't lose anything. And I think that you have to have a lot of fun in a play to then have feel an emotional impact of a play. And I think Bailey does that amazingly. And similar to what Sarah is saying, I also, I think we've talked some about like, you could leave the play with your friend or partner or whoever and have really different ideas of what literally happened. And you both really could be right. And I think that's a really fun space for a play to live. started developing the show March of 2020. Mm-hmm. You had a reading in January of 21. <laughs> Has the show been uh, workshopped or read or performed anywhere else since then? Or is this the premiere of the show? I don't think it's been. Um, I I was in Brooklyn College's MFA program at the time. So I believe I brought it in there to hear it read by my, my sweet little cohort. But I, I think this is the first public or private showing outside of the hearth. Oh, that's fantastic. Yay! So we're going to be your first <laughs> audience in a way. 
Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> well, then I want to ask one last question on this first part of the interview. And I'm going to start up with Julia and ask, um, who do you hope have access to the show? I feel very interested in people who don't see a ton of theater seeing our plays. I think it's really um, important to get people excited about theater who don't go to it seven days a week. Um, and I feel like people, it sounds kind of redundant, but people who are questioning their relationships with their jobs or their worth and people who want to kind of think about that sort of thing. I think especially in the wake of the pandemic or in the midst of the pandemic, however you want to look at it, I think we're all asking a lot of questions about uh, our relationships to our offices and jobs and how we see our priorities. And I think anyone who is wondering about that or wants to wonder about that is the right person for the show. Bailey, how about you? Who do you hope have access? Oh, I agree with Juliet as in all things. Um, <laughs> very boring interview in that we are all very simpatico. Uh, um, I would add that uh, I hope that uh, a lot of young playwrights and theater mater- makers come out to see the show. I feel like another thing that the pandemic gave us is a questioning of institutions. And this play is produced outside of the loving arms of our major institutions. It's got a budget, but it's by no means an enormous Broadway or even off-Broadway budget. And I think I would like to have more conversations and promote a culture of producing theater in this way with these, these itinerant companies that don't have their own space, but do have some fundraising capabilities and um, make theater seem more accessible to do uh, without waiting 20 years for um, X institution to decide to pluck your work from the pile. Like, I, I think I would like people to feel more equipped to do it themselves. Yes, wholeheartedly. And then rounding this out, Sarah, how about you? Yeah, and and I would just add that I think I, I have, while I also aspire to bring, I, I think there is like a whole group of our peers, younger folks who, slowly becoming not our peers um, as well, who uh, meeting like Gen Z folks or whatever, who, who I think don't have as much of a relationship to theater. Like I, I do believe that theater is a, is a, um, has a really different place in our entertainment culture than it did for my grandparents say, like, it's not to it's not to use a phrase of it being like a dying art or something, but I because I think that's like not a helpful term. But I but I it just simply doesn't have the same cachet or regular appeal as I, as like TV does nowadays. However, I I feel really like honest about how insular the community is, and sort of like what Bailey was saying, I am interested in making work that is really fun and entertaining and enjoyable and that being an asset as opposed to something that you have to apologize for. I think that um, there's a a real demand for work that people leave feeling invigorated by and um, that they really laughed hard during and could feel the energy and enjoyment among the entire team that made it. I think that's contagious and um, inspiring and beautiful. And it's something that Bailey and I really, I would say work to do in our work, but we don't have to work for it. It's just like a, a shared ethos. And so honestly, like I, I hope to inspire that among people too. And whether that's young or emerging makers, but, but also institutions to be like, this is not only commercially viable, but it is value added and something that is, it should be 
upheld, I think, as not just like a humane way of working, but something that is like awesome to witness. give our audience members um more of a chance to get to know the three of you and i want to ask you guys first off uh what shows composers or playwrights have inspired you um and why don't i kick things off with well why don't we kick things off with sarah since we were just chatting with you i really like writers who experiment with form uh in addition like yeah i i really like like um plays that I feel like are are thinking very much about structure and and humor is really really important to me um I love I love writers like Mara Nelson Greenberg I think is a really exciting playwright um I love Emma Horwitz's work um I love but I mean to be honest Bailey Williams is my favorite (laughs) playwright I mean I especially like I think she is, she's doing those two things in equal measure at the same time. And it's so, so exciting. Shout out to Bailey Williams. Wow, I'm honored. (laughs) Well, and speaking with Bailey, let's keep with you. How about you? Yeah, absolute second for Emma Horwitz. That's my favorite playwright. I love Jackie Sibley's Jury. I think one of my favorite theatrical experiences was We Are Proud to Present at Soho Rep when the play ended the actors left. And I believe they were instructed not to come back on stage until people started clapping. And the audience was so affected and so upset and so didn't want to break what just happened that I think we sat in silence for about a minute before somebody dared like put their hands together. And I think about that all the time. I think she's just, I think she's a brilliant maker and really uh, tries to, break apart the form every time she returns to a play. And I would say that's true also of Mia Chung, brilliant writer. Um, I love what she does with structure. I love um, Sybil Kimson's commitment to the strange and the inexplicable and her games with language. Um, I think Christopher Chen is a fabulous writer. I think uh, Caught is one of my all-time favorite plays. What a delightful little um, Russian doll puzzle box of a piece. Who else? God, there's so many great people working. It's kind of hard to like, we're gonna end this, we're gonna end this interview and I'm gonna immediately remember like- We get an interview of like, by the way, fit this in. (laughs) Yeah, like just like an addendum, here's like 50 of my favorite writers. I mean, I think just as I'll I'll see anything at Soho Rep, I'll see, see Club Thumb every year, their summer works. I love to go to the Bushwick Star, RIP old venue, eagerly awaiting the new venue. And uh, and of course the brick, which is where we're going to be, but it's also such an incubator for experiment. You know, um, I love when people, you know, um, show me something I wouldn't ever dared have a nightmare about. <laughs> Julia, how about you? What, what shows, playwrights or composers have inspired you? 
Uh, I mean, I second all of the people Bailey and Sarah have said, and I, I feel of two minds. One is like, I, I feel so, I love going to like a small theater that maybe smells weird or is run down or, and that and seeing something really unbelievable inside. And I felt that way about both seeing ba Sarah and Bailey's work, like Sarah's play Senzucked and Bailey's play, I thought I would die that Sarah directed. I've like, I felt so inspired and excited by that, which is why I'm thrilled to be working all together. Um, and then I feel like kind of in the the people that got me into theater were like the Sondheims, the Paula Vogels, the Marianne Fornes, the those people I think that kind of opened up what plays could be for me. I, I really um, still have a lot of love for. Uh, and then the, the club sums and the uh, this play, I always think about this play called Intractable Woman at Playco that I loved years ago. Yeah, I don't know. There's just so many, I, I feel similar. Like there's a million plays that I'll think of when we hang up, but, but, yeah, <laughs> but I, that's I, all I got for now. I feel really inspired by collaboratively made projects as well. And I think actually like most of my early influences were not made by playwrights. They were made by theater companies that really inspired not only the kind of work that I like, I like work that has a kind of like fragmentation to it in the sense that you can tell that it was built by more than one mind. But I think it also inspired the type of collaborations that I wanna have even while working within like what is considered to be the more traditional structure of playmaking of having a director and a writer and, and those roles being separate. Like, you know, it, it, it like meant something to me, even that on this call, Julia mentioned feeling like the actors had an influence inside of the process, because that's really important to me. I think it's I think it's silly to not view all of the people in the room as like possible voices. And um, there's no reason that just because you've been knighted director, you should your that your like ideas are better than than someone else in the room like so often an actor can say something much more illuminating about a part than or a line than i ever could because i'm not inside of it well said i know you've all been busy rehearsing but have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend i would recommend montag for sure at soho rep i saw it before we started rehearsal what a ride i've never been happier at the last 15 minutes of a play, they really do a big swing, you know, and it might not be for everyone. It's very strange, but I, I think it's, um, it was personally inspiring to me to see people um, go for it in that way and go for the weirdest possible thing. I, I would like more of that. No, I would just second that. And I feel that way always about Soho Ref that even if the swings don't work for you, it's always worth going there because there will be swings. And that is something that I love about that place. I think I'm my my personal shortlist for our short break over Thanksgiving, if I can get there, is I want to see Kimberly Akimbo. Yes. Me too. And I would love to see the new Julia May Jonas play at oh, LCP3. Yeah. Oh, I'm the, excited um, about that one. Yeah. The personal exegesis. Yeah. yeah. Personal exegesis. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I am really sad to miss the the raisin in the sun at the public. I've heard like crazy different opinions. And like, I, I, I wish I could, I wish I could see that. Julia, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Oh gosh. Um, I, I love it. So it sounds so lame, but I just love when like community comes together and has a genuinely fun time and it feels restorative and I think especially post-pandemic to like be in a room with people that are 
fun and new and exciting and generative. It's just like the biggest gift in the world. And I just love playing with people. Yes. Theater is community. And we have, we went way too long without it. Never mm -hmm. again, please never again. <laughs> Bailey, how about you? What's your favorite part about working in the theater? I uh, will be a narcissist for a second. I like when I hear people laugh at the thing I wrote. I do. It gets me every time. <laughs> no narcissism at all. No, that's great. Absolute pure dopamine, adrenaline. I love to I love to put up the play. I love rehearsals. I love actors. I love making the thing. It's just um, I have a lot of fun. <laughs> and Sarah, how about you? What is your favorite part? Yeah, agree. I also, I mean, I like how hard it is. It's I, it, like when when something is working, it feels that much better because <laughs> it's just, there's a lot of there are just so many obstacles to making work that when um even just like a moment suddenly aligns, it it's really rewarding. Yeah, we've gotten to my favorite question, and I can't wait to hear what you ladies' answer is, which is what is your favorite theater memory? And why don't I start with Bailey? Are you are you ready with one? Yeah, I mine has been the same for a long time. Um, unfortunately, it's back at Soho Rap. I guess I'm just representing. Soho. I, I've, I've been hired by Soho Rap. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, not. Uh, but I would. I'm open. Uh, it was in 2008. I had just moved to New York, and for some reason, I managed to hear that they were doing Sarah Kane's Blasted. And um, it was Marin Ireland and Reed Burney. And it was so scary and so unbelievable and upsetting. And they did something really smart, which is they ripped out all of the seats, like the, the traditional seats with like um, arms and they put in these benches. So you were really sort of slammed up against the people next to you. And in the beginning I sat down, I'm like, this is very unpleasant. I don't wanna be touching these people. But by the end, I was so sort of terrified and um, like in need of such reassurance. I was like, I'm so glad my thigh is touching this man's thigh. Like I, like, I just needed humanity sort of around me. And it really, I wish I could see that production again. It was unbelievable. I'm writing that title down, Blasted. Blasted by Sarah Kane. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, no, I'm no. ready. I love it. Sarah, how about you? My favorite thing I ever saw was, um, it was 600 Highwaymen's first production called This Time Tomorrow. It was, I want to say in 2010 or 11, it was at a... It was in the basement of a church space in Brooklyn and it was a clown show with no text. And it was like in a, a sort of community center space. And it was just, it was a series of actors making jokes with the space and nothing else because they didn't have language. And it was clear that it felt like they had, must have only rehearsed in that space because every, every, I was laughing hysterically and also just like in awe as they were creating magic with only what existed in the space, you know, the dry erase board and a random curtain and a pencil and whatever. And it was just, yeah, you know, you hear that term in theater, like revelation of space. It was that like every moment. And um, it had such a sort of like 
childlike wonder and um like it just inspired this incredible feeling of amazement like the entire time and made like the pedantic revelatory it was it was so exciting that sounds unbelievable i want to see that right now it is amazing <laughs> two great shows so far and then rounding us out julia what is your favorite theater memory Oh, I'm kind of torn, but I'll just go with the first one I thought of. But I, I was very lucky that my first like real theater job was assisting Paula Vogel on Indecent. And we went from La Jolla to the Vineyard to Broadway. And the and because that whole play is basically about this like incredibly difficult journey to Broadway that then gets thwarted by anti-Semitism. And the first night the dress rehearsal on Broadway was like one of the most it was Paula's first time on Broadway ever it was this like huge triumph for this little play that all these people had been with forever and it was like sitting in this unbelievable Broadway theater and watching people take in this play like as it was meant to be and it felt also like an homage to the god of vengeance that never got its due and I think that to me was just like I could cry talking about it it was just the most just this like power of theater and time and justice and it felt very special. Are there any other productions or projects that any of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? Um, yes, and it's actually the reason why I have to leave shortly um, is my play Coach Coach will be at Club Thumbs Winterworks this January. Details incoming, um, it's directed by Dara Molina and it will hopefully be fabulous. We're about to go into a reading, so I'll have a little bit more information about how fabulous it is. <laughs> Presently, yeah. <laughs> and we have another show coming up in the hearth in March that we actually can't totally talk about yet, but stay tuned for that information. Amazing. Well, lastly, if our listeners want to get more information about events or about you or want to contact you, how can they do that? Uh, for the events, for tickets, and for information and updates, the hearththeater.com and uh, the hearthco on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and then if you want to email us, I guess, info at the hearthco.com. My guests today have been Bailey Williams, who is a playwright, Sarah Blush, the director, and Julia Greer, who's the producer and a performer in the upcoming new work event which is being presented by Hearth and Brick. It's being performed at The Brick, December 1st through the 18th. You can get tickets and more information at thehearththeater.com. Um, you can also email them at info at thehearthco.com or follow them on Instagram at thehearthco. Um, we're going to have all this information posted on our episode description as well as on our social media. And we'll include our guest social media as well. Sarah, Julia, Bailey, thank you so much for joining me today and talking and sharing. This was fantastic. I'm so excited for the show. I can't wait to see it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Once sang the praises
If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is DJ by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar, The Midnight Suns, Kelly Lattimore, and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Hey.